Orchard Church. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, is where we'll begin in just a moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We're wrapping up our series today called The Ghost. We're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Before we get going too far, let's address the elephant in the room or the pastor in the sling. Uh, I wish I could tell you this was some kind of creative illustration during my message this morning. Um, it's not. Um, I actually was in a biking accident on Wednesday evening. Uh, Marcial and I, my Spanish pastor, uh, we've been doing a lot of bike riding lately, trying to stay in shape and stay healthy. We rode downtown along the Platte River Trail, and a pop-up thunderstorm came through, and so everything was wet, and we were about 10 minutes uh, back. It's about a 16-mile ride round trip. We were about 10 minutes back to the truck, and we went across a wooden bridge, and it was wet, and I went this way, and my bike went that way, and so I broke my collarbone, so there yeah, everybody just go, oh, yeah. How many of you have ever broken a collarbone? I, yeah, a lot of people have. So please come tell me about the recovery. So um, I, they couldn't get the surgery done uh, yet. So tomorrow I have surgery. Tomorrow afternoon they're going to put a plate and screws in. They said if they don't, it won't ever heal right. So, uh, you know, sometimes you got to play through the pain, right? So that's what I'm doing this morning. So you guys are going to be extra uh, encouraging today, and you're going to be extra responsive to help your pastor out. Amen? <laughs> All right, because we're going to get through this uh, together today. So that is what, what happened to me. My wife did not push me down, okay? So don't, <laughs> don't believe that rumor. All right. Hey, uh, today, as we continue our series, uh, wrapping this up, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. And when Jesus was with his disciples after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, um, he was on the earth for about 40 days. And he told his disciples he was going to be leaving, he was going to be ascending back to heaven and the disciples were freaking out and they're like no Jesus don't leave us we've been with you three and a half years what are we going to do without you and you remember what Jesus said he said listen it's best that I go away it's best and they're thinking why is it best he said because when I leave I'm going to leave you the comforter I'm going to leave you the encourager. I'm going to leave you in the Greek, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we've been talking about these last four weeks. With the first week, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to leave you my spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that's going to comfort you, that's going to encourage you, uh, that's going to be your counselor and your guide. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit of God that's going to empower you to do what you cannot do, but he will do through you, to share your faith boldly, to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to give you the power of the spirit to be strong when you're weak and you've broken your collarbone and you have to preach. Uh, I'm going to give you power to have hope in a hopeless world. And most importantly, I'm going to give you power to experience all the fullness that God has intended for you. And then last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And when you accept Jesus, you're going to get spiritual gifts. And these gifts are going to be supernaturally given to you so you can make a difference in the church and in the world for Christ. And today we're going to wrap up talking about the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it uh, look like? Is this for everyone or is this just for a few people? We're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit today. Everybody say filling. filling. 
the filling of the Spirit. Now, before Jesus left, this is the promise that he gave to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I believe it's been passed on to all believers and disciples for 2,000 years since then. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, But you will receive power, say it, church, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Church, you'll be my witnesses. Don't miss this. The purpose of the Spirit is so that you can be empowered to witness to people, tell people about Jesus, to be witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, and then he left. And then about 10 days later, on what is called the day of Pentecost, penta meaning 50, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, the disciples, were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were all sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was let's say it together church they were filled with the holy spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the holy spirit gave them ability so the holy spirit came upon them they were filled with the spirit and they began to speak in other languages of other countries that they had not previously studied or had practiced now this is where things got tricky This is where things get a little controversial. This is where things get a little strange and a little confusing. It happened 2,000 years ago, and the same is still happening today as these disciples started speaking in all these unknown languages that they previously didn't know in order to be witnesses and to share the gospel. We know this got confusing, weird, and tricky because look at what happens in verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every what? Nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their, say at church, their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And here we are, Parthian, Medes, Eliamites, and they give all this list of nations and different tongues and languages that they spoke and then jump down to the latter part of verse 11. It says, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed, perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. And to some people, this was really strange and weird. And they even said this. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just what? They're just drunk. That's all. I mean, as they're hearing all these different languages and it just would have sounded like, you know, weird things and chaos. And they're like, you know, they're just drunk. And then later, if you read on, Peter says, no, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit who's given them the power to speak in all these other languages. He says, of course, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Who drinks at nine o'clock in the morning? I mean, you know, I told you guys a few weeks ago, I have a strict no alcohol policy. Before noon, okay? Afternoon, yeah, it's a different thing. I mean, how many of you guys have ever been to Vegas? You ever been to Las Vegas? It always amazes me, go to Las Vegas, get up in the morning and maybe eight o'clock to go get some breakfast and people are walking around with a beer at eight in the morning. I'm like, that is just wrong. And then that's what Peter's saying. He's like, they're not drunk. They haven't been drinking. He said, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why they're speaking in these languages and speaking in what some would say tongues. Some translations say tongues. And this was very confusing to the people that were there witnessing this, as you can imagine. And here we are 2,000 years later, and this is very confusing to some and strange to some and 
controversy um, abounds around this subject. And so when you talk about being filled with the Spirit, speaking in other languages, speaking in tongues, you have this pendulum swing that we've talked about throughout this series when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And depending on which Christian circle you come from, we swing the pendulum from one extreme to the other extreme. There's some Christian circles that would say, in order to truly be saved, you have to speak in tongues. You, in order to prove that you're filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues in other languages. In order to truly arrive at the pinnacle of maturity in your Christian life, then you will speak in tongues in other languages. And that's one extreme. And then there's other Christian circles that swing the pendulum to the other extreme that say, you know what, we don't even believe that tongues and other languages exist today. God's not doing that anymore, and they've completely ceased. If y'all know what I'm talking about, say yes. And you got these pendulum swings of extremes. And so those that would be on the extreme of saying this doesn't even exist anymore, it's ceased. It's not even of God today. So if it's not of God today, and someone is speaking in tongues today or other languages, if it's not of God, they could it be of Satan? Some of you all know what I'm talking about. Now let me ask you this by a show of hands. How many of you, be honest, you've ever been in a church service, been in a concert, a gathering of believers where you heard somebody speaking in tongues. Raise your hand, okay? All right, put them down. Now, be honest. How many of you, when you heard that the first time, it was a little strange, a little weird, a little confusing, freaked you out? Okay, I think there were more hands that time than the first time. How many of y'all are like, I'm not raising my hand. I'm chicken. I want to see what Pastor Doug says about this subject, all right? Well, here's, we're going to attack this today. We're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, but they're so closely tied in Scripture, you really can't talk about one with without at least addressing the other, and hopefully we can clear up some confusion today. Our number one value here at Orchard Orchard Church is this. What does the Bible say? Not what does the pastor say, what does the church say, what does the denomination say, what does the religion say, what does the Bible say? So I want to share with you today what we know about tongues and other languages that the Bible says. These are the things that we absolutely know for sure. I'm going to give you two big thoughts about tongues and languages to hopefully clear up some of the confusion. I hope you'll take some notes on the back of your newsletter. First thing is this. Here's what we know about tongues and other languages. Number one, the Bible is very, very clear. When someone speaks in tongues publicly, like in a church service or a small group, there must be an interpretation. If someone is going to speak in another language publicly, then there must be an interpretation. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, and they were already misunderstanding the purpose and the practice of tongues and other languages. And they were misusing it, so he writes this letter to clear this up and some other subjects coming out of spiritual gifts. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 27. No more than two or three, everybody say two or three. No more than two or three should speak in tongues or other languages. They must speak, how many at a time? One at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be what, church? They must be silent in your church meeting, in your small group, in your gathering, and speak in tongues to God privately. I think that that is very clear. Very clear that Paul says, if anyone is going to have the gift of tongues of languages, then it should be in a public setting, two or three at the most, one at a time, and there always must be an interpreter. Now, can we just be real and be honest? If all Christians and churches would practice that, it would clear up about 99% of all the problems with tongues and languages. But unfortunately, that's not what's followed. 
I've been in church services. Everybody's speaking in tongues. I've been in concerts. Now everybody's speaking. Everybody do it and everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it at the same time. And it's just chaos and it's weird and it's strange and it's confusing and it's just a bunch of babble. And unbelievers, can you imagine being an unchurched person, an unbeliever, and you are exposed to this? You, they're freaked out. They're weirded out, just like what you kind of see in Acts chapter 2. They're like, this doesn't make sense. We don't understand this. And let's not forget, the purpose of languages and tongues was to share the gospel and witness to the unsaved and the unchurched. And, but already in the church in Corinth, they were missing the purpose and practice of tongues in the first place. Let me give you an example I heard uh, that happened in one church, the a misuse of, of tongues. There was this man that stood up. He said, I, I've got the gift of tongues I'd like to share. The pastor said, okay, what is it? And he said, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. And another guy said, I think I can interpret that. Say it again. C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. Coca-Cola. The Holy Spirit is the real thing. Come on, work with me, y'all. I'm, I'm injured today. Work with me. That's the best thing. <laughs> that would be an example of misuse of tongues. Paul goes on to say very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meetings and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're what? Crazy. He says, that's why when someone speaks publicly or in a small group in your gatherings and they have the gift of languages or tongues, it should be no more than two or three, one at a time, and there must be an interpreter. Is that clear? That's clear. That's what the Bible says. Second thing, a second big thought. Here's what we absolutely know the Bible says about tongues and other languages, the gift of languages and tongues. Number two, speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking as they use their gift, but prophecy strengthens the entire church. Speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, but prophecy, we talked about the gift of prophecy last week, which is the ability to boldly proclaim the word of God, sharing God's word, preaching, teaching, quoting, memorizing the word of God. He says that strengthens the entire church. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, trying to clear the confusion up, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says this, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened how, church? He's strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy, the word of God, strengthens who? The entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all what, church? You should prophesy, share God's word, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church can be what? Strengthen. Very clear. Very clear once again. And you, as you read, I just challenge you to read 1 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Chapter 12, he exposes us to spiritual gifts. Tongues and languages is one of many gifts. Chapter 13, he talks about love. And it's interesting. And then chapter 14, he really addresses and clears up the misuse of tongues, missing the purpose and practice. And he, and he, and he sandwiches the love chapter 13 in the middle of that because he's saying, listen, you guys, you're, you're caught up more in the gift than in the giver of the gift. And you're just trying to show off your gift instead of sharing it with, with people so they could come to Christ. And, and you read Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, he's rebuking the church. He's frustrated with them. And he's like, you know, I, I'd rather you guys just share the word of God than get caught up in this gift of speaking in other languages and, and other tongues if you're not doing it properly. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. I have that gift. But in a church meeting, this is very powerful. 
I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. That's a powerful verse. He said, even though I speak in tongues, in a church meeting, in a church setting, I would rather speak five understandable words than 10,000 words in an unknown language that people don't understand and could be confusing. What would those five words be? I mean, I don't know. Jesus loves you very much. He says, that's more powerful than all of these tongues where people are confused and they don't understand what you're saying. So those are the two things that we absolutely know the Bible is clear about when it comes to tongues and unknown languages and this gift. That when someone speaks publicly, two or three at the most, one at a time, there must be an interpreter. We also remember that tongues strengthens the person personally, but speaking prophecy, clearly the word of God strengthens the entire church. And Paul said, I would rather you do that than speak 10,000 tongues in an unknown language. So some of you want to know this question. I'm sure you do. You know, Pastor Doug, do you believe that speaking in tongues in lang other languages is a valid spiritual gift today? Well, if you come back next week, I might know. How many of y'all would like to know that? Okay. What, what do you believe? Do you believe it's valid today? I do. Yes, I do. I do believe. If it's used properly, according to the Bible, I have heard stories, especially of people going to the mission field and on mission trips or missionaries going to a foreign country where it should take two or three years to, to learn the language and all of a sudden God gives them the gift of languages and they can speak the language and share the gospel. I believe that is a perfect picture of the purpose and practice of tongues that you read in the word of God and God can still do that today. I don't believe that it's completely ceased, but I believe that it is often misused and we miss the practice and the purpose. So you may ask this, well then, if you believe that it's still valid today, why don't we see this gift on a regular basis happening here at Orchard Church? Here's why, because if we all did it in a church our size, with as many people as we have in three different services, unchurched, unsaved people would come in here and they would think we're crazy. They would think we're nuts. They would think this is weird. It wouldn't make sense. They already think we're crazy, y'all. I mean, if they were here last week and heard the small group guys, you know they think that we're crazy. <laughs> And I follow what Paul says, it's better that we preach, that we teach, that we prophesy using the word of God where people can clearly understand it and it can be life-changing. That is more valid and more important than anything else. Our mission at Orchard Church is simply this, to help people find and follow Jesus, not to confuse them, not to scare them, not to push them away and freak them out. Amen? So... Let's, let's get to this question as we tie this to the filling of the Holy Spirit because so oftentimes in the Bible you see that they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Filled with the Spirit and they spoke in other languages. So do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit is a common question. Do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? I would absolutely unequivocally say no. No, you do not. And I could take you, we don't have time today, but I could take you to many instances in the Bible where people, it says they were filled with the Spirit, but yet they never spoke in tongues or other languages. Did you know, do you all believe that Jesus was filled with the Spirit? And yet there's no evidence that he ever spoke in tongues or other languages. John the Baptist, Bible says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God even before he was born. No evidence that he ever spoke in tongues or other languages. There's other instances in the Bible where the disciples were in other places and it says they were filled with the Spirit and they performed other spiritual gifts but they didn't speak in tongues. Other believers in the Bible that were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, not always. Being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues is one of many evidences of being filled with the Spirit, but it's not the exclusive evidence. And those who teach that, the, that to be filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues, can I lovingly say, are absolutely, completely, biblically uninformed. 
That's not what the Bible says. Let me give you what I believe to be one of the greatest examples of this. If you'll go with me to Galatians. And I'm learning to do things with one hand. I didn't know I could do. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Now, what is the evidence of somebody being filled with the Spirit? Well, I think this is the greatest verse of evidence of somebody filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and that is that they have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in their life. And in Galatians 5.22, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, this kind of evidence. What does it say, church? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those are the nine characteristics and evidence, I would argue, all day long of someone who is filled and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you notice tongues and other languages isn't even mentioned in there because this is the greatest evidence that somebody is walking in the Spirit. Amen? That they ex- exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Remember we learned this last week about spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts. But does the Holy Spirit of God give everybody the same gifts? No. It, but we learned last week. He says the same Spirit gives different gifts to different people. To, so to say that in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues means that he gives that gift to every believer. doesn't line up with the scripture, but the fruit of the spirit does these evidences. And when we have these, we're living like Jesus and people would say, wow, I want what you have. I want the love you have, the joy you have, the peace you have. I want that strength in my life. And that is what is going to attract people to Jesus, the fruit of the spirit. Can we agree? So having said that, how do we live a spirit filled life today? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. How do we live a spirit-filled life? We may or may not speak in tongues or other languages, depending on if God has given us a gift. But I believe God wants all of us to be filled with the Spirit. So how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, you're right there in Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit, what? Say it, church. Guide your lives. Be submitted, surrendered to the Spirit in your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions how many of you would say i know exactly what paul is talking about my spirit wants to do right my flesh wants to do wrong you see when we were born physically we had a physical natural birth and we were born with a sin nature when we were born again we had a spiritual birth god put his spirit inside of us the spirit of god indwelt us so but he didn't kick the old nature out They're going to be at war with each other the rest of our life until Jesus comes and he completely and finally removes the flesh and the old nature. But right now you have these two natures. Sometimes you'll see a cartoon and it'll look like this. Here's a good example. Here's Homer Simpson. You got the angel on one shoulder kind of representing the spirit and you got the devil on the other shoulder representing the sinful flesh. And when you accept Christ, you now both these natures that exist. Holy Spirit wants you to go one way, the flesh, the sinful nature, the devil wants you to go another way your alarm went off this morning and your flesh and the devil said stay in bed sleep in take it easy your spirit said get up go to church be with God's people worship study God's word you know the, the, one says one thing the other says your your um, 
you know, your, your flesh says, don't get in a small group. You're too busy. You got other things going on. And yet your spirit says, you know what? You need to get connected with other believers. You need to grow in your relationship with other believers. You need to have people that love you, care for you, pray for you. You need that for other believers. You need to be connected in a small group. Spirit says one thing. Flesh says something else. You know, your spirit says, you know, you need a pet. Why not a dog? Your flesh says something else. I'll just leave it at that, okay? But these two are at war with each other. And God wants us to live a spirit-filled life, a spirit-directed life, that we listen to the spirit and not be spirit-less, that we, that we listen to the flesh. So how do we live a spirit-filled life instead of a spirit-less life where the spirit wins the battle over the flesh that we face every morning that we wake up, amen? Every morning we wake up and all day long we're, we're facing this battle between the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. So how do we live a spirit-filled life, okay? You're in Galatians. Jump over just a couple of pages to the right to Ephesians. You're in Galatians 5. I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Here's how we do it. This is beautiful. Ephesians 5, 15. How do we make sure we're living a spirit-filled life? So be careful how you live, Paul says. Don't live like fools, but like those who are what, church? Like those who are wise. You, if you listen to your flesh and your sinful nature, that's foolish. If you listen to the spirit of God, that is wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do, how he wants you to live. Don't, now when you watch this, he gives us an illustration. You know, we say a picture's worth a thousand words. So he paints us a picture how to live a spirit-filled life. He says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Notice he doesn't say don't drink wine. He says don't be drunk with wine. We dealt with this a few weeks ago. Uh, that drinking in and of itself isn't a sin, but drunkenness is. Don't be drunk with wine that could ruin your life. But instead, be what? Let's say it, church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, I want you to live a spirit-filled life, not a spirit-less life. And here's the key. Don't be drunk with wine that can ruin your life, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk, be filled. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled. Everybody say, be filled. Be filled, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting that on the day of Pentecost, when we opened up in Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and unknown languages, other people said, they're drunk. They're drunk because they're powered by the Holy Spirit. This is the same picture that we have over here in Ephesians 5. So you have this in your notes. Get this picture. I don't want you to miss this because this is beautiful. When you are drunk, you are under the what? Influence. You know, you get a DUI driving under the influence. When you're drunk with wine or, you know, alcohol of any kind, beer, whiskey, whatever it is, you're under the influence of alcohol. You're under its power. You're under its control. And Paul says, don't be influenced that way and drunk that way, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what happens when you're under the influence of alcohol? I don't know firsthand. I've read books about this. Actually, I talked to our Spanish pastor, Marcial, and he told me, <laughs> explained this to me a little bit better. What, what happens when you're drunk with alcohol to the point that you're under its influence and you're drunk? What happens? Here's what happens. You think differently, don't you? You talk differently, and you act differently, and you walk differently. 
When you're under the influence of alcohol, you think differently, you talk differently, you act differently. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, with alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence, the control, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God? You think differently, you talk differently, you act differently, you walk differently. Amen? Amen. Do you get the picture? Say yes. yes. He says, don't be drunk with alcohol and be under its influence, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Why, and this, this picture just goes on and on. Why do people get drunk? I mean, if they're honest, there's, there's, there's several different reasons. One reason people would get drunk is they want comfort from the alcohol. You know, they've got a lot going on. They're stressed out. Things are tough. They're going through trials and tribulations. So I'm going to drink enough alcohol that at least for a while it'll numb the pain, give me some comfort. I'll forget about the cares and the woes of the world. I mean, there's a reason it's called Southern Comfort. Some of y'all get that. So to get comfort. Here's another reason why people drink alcohol. Sometimes, especially guys, they drink alcohol before they go out for the night. You know, single guys go to the club so they can have confidence. You know, so they can have a little more confidence, loosen up a little bit, you know, and, and if, they, if a guy drinks enough, all of a sudden, you know, there's this beautiful girl over here that would never give him the time of day, and he says to his buddy, she's checking me out. I think she's looking at me. I'm going to go talk to her. And he goes over there, tries to pick up on her and talk to her. He's got the confidence to do that. It's the alcohol speaking, and she would never give him the time of day. Unless she's had enough alcohol, then he looks a lot better than he really looks. Isn't it? So, so why do people drink alcohol? A lot of people drink alcohol to get drunk to have, for the comfort of alcohol and the confidence that alcohol gives them. Isn't it interesting that a substance in this world is a bad substitute for the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? And he wants to do the same thing. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're under his power and his control and his influence, what does he want to do? Jesus said, I'm going to send you the comforter. The Holy Spirit of God wants to be that supernatural comfort in our life when we're going through trials and tribulations and difficulties to give us peace that passes all human understanding, to give us hope in a hopeless world. When we're filled and under the influence of the Spirit of God, He gives us confidence to do what we can't do, that He will do in and through us as He empowers us, as He gives us supernatural gifts. Isn't it amazing what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do that alcohol cannot do and he paints us this picture. And like the drunk person, that when they get drunk and they experience that, they must have another drink. They must get drunk more and more. When you truly, genuinely experience the Holy Spirit of God in your life and the comfort he brings and the confidence he brings and the empowerment he brings, you've got to have more of him. You've got to have more of him and more of him and more of his power and more of his control and more of his influence because you experience his presence, you experience his power, you experience that you can live a supernatural life in a very natural world. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under his influence, be under his control, be under his power. Now, as we kind of wrap this up, there's, there's a debate that we're not going to spend a lot of time getting into. But in Christian circles, there's this debate between, you know, when you get saved, you know, how much of the Holy Spirit do you get? You know, okay, you've accepted Christ. Now you need a second blessing. And now you need to be baptized in the Spirit. You know, and, and, and you need to get more of the Spirit. And, and I'm not going to get into all this. But, but I think here's the confusion, the confusion. When someone accepts Christ, this is what I believe. When someone accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residency in their life. 
The Bible says that their dead spirit is brought to life. And I believe at the moment of salvation, you have all of the Holy Spirit in you that you will ever need. It's not about getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. I believe that we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that's a one-time thing that happens at the moment of salvation. But being filled with the Spirit is something that is ongoing throughout our Christian life that should happen over and over and over and over and over again as we surrender to the Spirit's presence and power in our life. If you, if you check it out, in the Greek, the word filled with the Holy Spirit comes from the Greek word plerao. It means continually filled. Not just filled once. So I believe there's one indwelling of the Spirit. There's many fillings of the Spirit as we submit to Him in our life. And that's why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Some of you may need to take another drink of the Spirit. You're not drunk enough. You're not under the influence of the Spirit enough. And you say, well, how do I take another drink of the Spirit? I know I've accepted Christ. I have the Spirit of God in me. But how do I make sure I'm staying filled with the Spirit? How do, I, how do I make sure I'm under His influence? I'm under His control. How do I make sure I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? You fill your life with this book. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You fill your life with the Word of God. In verse 19... Notice what Paul says. He says, don't be drunk with wine because this will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So in Ephesians 5.19, he tells us, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Colossians, watch this. In Colossians 3.16, he says almost the same thing, but he changes it up slightly. And he says, let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, he says, be filled with the word of God. Which is it? It's both. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Fill your life with the word of God. It's the fuel. I told you a couple weeks ago, if you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, what is the fuel that the Spirit is empowered by? It's the Word of God. It always goes back to the Word of God. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Fill your life with God's Word. Amen? Amen. It's, that, it's that simple. You've got to be in this book. There's a beautiful picture of this in Jeremiah 23.9. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way. I stagger like a drunkard. Like someone overcome with wine because of, not because of wine, but because of the holy words the Lord has spoken. He had filled his life so much with the word of God, he was controlled and under the influence of the word of God and the spirit in his life. As we wrap up this series on the Holy Spirit, let me just kind of give you a quick snapshot how I've seen the Holy Spirit of God work in my life. Many of you know my testimony. I grew up in a Christian home, but when I was in high school, I got out of church about six years. I walked away from the Lord. In the summer of 1990, a friend of mine that I grew up in church with invited me to go back to church. And I said, sure, I'll go to church. I went to church, and I remember that day, the Holy Spirit was all over me, convicting me. I knew I wasn't living right. I wasn't doing right. God had called me into full-time ministry when I was in middle school, and I was running from it, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me, and I, and I surrendered, and I said, okay, no more, and I left the college I was going to. I went off to Bible college. In 1992, I met a girl named Shelly Randall, and the Holy Spirit of God said, you've been picking the wrong girl. This is the girl I'm picking for you. And I listened to the Holy Spirit of God, and she's been my wife for 23 years. Amen? <clears throat> 
1995, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me and he called us from the church we were serving in in student ministry in Missouri. He said, I want you to be a pastor one of these days. And so he called us to a, a small church in Indiana, Kokomo, Indiana. It sounds tropical. It is not. We went there on a call from the Holy Spirit of God, and I, and I learned a lot of things not to do. I learned, you know, really who God had called me to be and what he had not called me to be. And then in uh, 1998, he called me to be the pastor of that church, the Holy Spirit of God. And then in 2002, the Holy Spirit of God said, okay, your time here is done. Your ministry here is done. I have something else for you. And I got a call from Colorado. I answered that call. The Holy Spirit of God led my family to Colorado. And in 2005, the Holy Spirit of God said, it's time, it's now time for you to go to Northeast Denver, plant a church called Orchard Church. And for the last 10 years, my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct my life and this church. He has been my guide. He has been my confidence. He has given me the faith to take bold steps of faith when God has caused us to step out in faith. He has given me the spiritual gifts I believe necessary to lead and guide this church. And I believe without a doubt the Spirit of God has given me power when I'm weak and I have a broken collarbone that I can still preach on a Sunday morning. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God has led some of you here today. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. Even the Holy Spirit of God led someone to invite you here. Or the Holy Spirit of God said, it's time to go to church. And he's speaking to some of you today the way he spoke to me all throughout my life. And there's something he wants you to do. There's something he's calling you to do. And what I know that he's calling you to is to live a spirit-filled life. The Holy Spirit wants you to experience his power, his presence, he wants to give you gifts, and he wants to fill your life over and over again. And when you are filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit of God, you're under his control, you're under his influence, you will never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together. Thank you for this series where we've been able to learn about the power, the presence, the gifts, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we desire to be under your control, under your power, under your leading, and under your influence in our lives. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you, as believers in Jesus Christ, you'd say, I want to be more filled with the Spirit. I know I have God's Spirit in me, but I want to be more filled with the Spirit. I want to experience His presence, His power, His comfort, His confidence. I want to be under His influence. Can I pray for you? Any believers like that? Slip up your hands all across the auditorium. I need to be more filled with the Spirit of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for all those that are desiring to be filled with your Spirit, that they would make a conscious decision today to surrender to whatever you're calling them to or whatever you're calling them away from. I pray that they would be filled with your word and by being filled with your word they would be filled with your spirit with your presence with your power in in their life god that they would not go another day trying to live life on their own apart from being surrendered to your presence and your power and your control and your influence and your comfort in their life as we continue an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed don't be looking around you know before you can be filled with the spirit you first have to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. And I believe that happens at the moment of salvation when you invite Jesus into your life. And maybe for some of you, you, you know that you've been trying to live life apart from the Spirit. And you need comfort today, and you need confidence today, and you need power today. 
And Jesus offers that to you as he wants to put his spirit in you. If that's you today, and you'd say, I've never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it, you can invite Jesus in your life right now, today, right where you sit. Say yes to Jesus. Allow him to put his spirit in you and then to fill you with his spirit as he guides and directs your life. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? I'll help you with the words. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I want to know you. I accept you by faith today. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. If you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time and you, you meant it, I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'd I just like to pray for you. So without hesitation right now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you slip up your hand all across the auditorium by raising your hand and say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I invited Jesus into my life today. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Couple together. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Yes, I prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into my life. I meant it. Anybody else? couple of people. God bless you. Thank you. Father, I pray for those today that put their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would never be the same. I pray that you would just fill them with your spirit, with your love, with your grace, your mercy. I pray that as a church family, we would welcome them into the body of Christ today as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would celebrate their decision and we'd help them to grow in their walk and their journey with you. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Thank you for his presence, his power, the gifts that you've given us, that we've used them in the church and in the world to make a difference for you. And, and Lord, may we desire to be filled with your spirit each and every day of our life, that we'd be under your influence, under your control, under your direction, and under your power. For your glory and honor and for our good as we live a life that is pleasing to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, you raised your hand and you said, I accepted Christ, you prayed that prayer, please let us know about that on your connection card. Um, give us your address. We're going to continue to pray for you. We're also going to send you a little book in the mail called Seven Steps to Joy that will help you in your new journey with Christ. If you are a first-time guest today, thanks so much for being our guest here at Orchard Church. Hopefully you filled out that guest connection card. Uh, you can drop in the offering bucket when it goes by in just a moment. We're not interested in your money today, first-time guests, but we're definitely interested in getting to know you. And we're going to send you a thank you note and a free gift in the mail. So please let us know uh, that you're here today. Uh, right now, we are going to worship the Lord through our tithes and our offerings because we want to be a church um, that acts our wage by giving first, saving second, learning to live on the rest. We're also going to check out... Uh, some other exciting things that are going on around here at Orchard Church, so you don't want to miss that, so don't go anywhere as we worship the Lord uh, through our giving right now. Love you guys. Hi, I'm Laura. Here's what's happening at Orchard Church. Politics is not an emotionally neutral topic. It has the power to divide us instead of bring us together. What would it look like if Christians filtered their politics through their faith 
rather than filtering their faith through their politics. Join us on Sunday, September 11th, as we hear a special message from Andy Stanley called Avoiding Election Infection. If you recently began attending Orchard Church and want to know more about us, we would like to invite you to our Starting Point class. At Starting Point, you will find out what Orchard is all about, where we are headed, and how you can get connected. It's a great place to start. Our next class will be Sunday, September 11th at 9.50 a.m. in room B118. Just sign up on your connection card today. At Orchard, we know that small groups are the best way to get connected with new people, relate to one another, and serve our community. We want you to join a small group. Here's why. I'm Melissa Daigle and I've been coming to Orchard for a few months now. Hi, I'm Sarah. Justin. We've been coming to Orchard, I think for about two years Almost now. two years. Yeah, almost yeah. two years. I wouldn't fit in or I would be like the quiet person in the corner like I normally am and it'd be really pointless. I wouldn't make any friends or but I wanted to give it a shot anyway. <laughs> uh, I guess just nervous to meet new people, kind of not sure what to expect from them, what they expect from us. Right, like going out of our comfort zone, going into some, you know, place we've never seen before, people we've never met. I gotta become more part of the church and meet all the people and find people with similar interests as me. It made me want to get more involved and do more in the church, serving, and I did the shoe boxes. That was the first time I ever did that, but had I not done small group, I probably would just go in on Sunday and leave on Sunday and not talk to anybody. You know, besides the fellowship and everything else, but the friends you make. You know, we have friends from small group that never would expect it, and it's put us in so close with the church. You know, seeing people at church and having a whole new family going to church and be able to see them and, and actually knowing people. And then you also know you have people praying for you when something happens. You don't really know if you don't like something if you haven't tried it before. So you might go once and find out, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Or it might you go once and be like, okay, this is maybe too many people. And so maybe that makes you want to go into discipleship which is what I was thinking originally. Now I want to do both. <laughs> you know what, honestly, just try it out. Come with an open mind. You know, no one knows everything about the Bible and what you guys are going to talk about and the discussions. You know, it's a, it's a learning environment. You can step out your comfort zone and go because you won't regret it. We didn't. Small groups meet weekly in homes all over the Metro Denver area, including Brighton, Reunion, Commerce City, Henderson, and many more. To find a group near you, just go to orchardgroups.com, select a city, night of the week, and find a group that works for you. If you have any questions about a particular small group, you can email the host directly by clicking the questions button on their page. To sign up for a group, just click sign up for this group, Fill out the form and that's all it takes. If you need help signing up or have any questions, just visit the small groups table in the lobby as you leave today. Small groups start the week of September 18th. Don't wait. 
Join a group today as they will fill up fast. This is the end of our service today. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. Have a great day and we'll see you next week.